Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. We've been going through Philippians, and our verse this week is from Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21. Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I'd like to invite Pastor Billy up to begin the sermon. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this Sunday morning. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. Lord, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears, basically, just to hear what you would have us to hear this morning, speak into our hearts and our lives, and help us to really make the message um, applicable, not just something that we hear on Sunday morning, but just as we said multiple times this morning, Lord, that it would permeate our life, it would continue to influence and affect how we look at our relationship with you and with each other and with the world as we continue out throughout the rest of this week. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So on April 19th, 2014, more than 36,000 runners hit the pavement for the 118th Boston Marathon. This was the year following the tragic events of the bombing at the previous year's race in which three people were killed and many were wounded. And this particular race was, of course, it was filled with tons of emotion. It was kind of this Beautiful moment in storybook form when the winner of the race added even more drama because for the first time since 1983, an American won the race. At age 38, he became the oldest person to win the race in 83 years. And on his uh, bib, on the corner of his bib, he had written the names of the victims who were killed the previous year. His name was Meb Kaflitsky. And he crossed the finish line in first place. And as he crossed the finish line, people in the crowd just started chanting USA. People were crying. And he lifted up his hands with joy and triumph and then just broke into tears. It was hard to watch the highlights of that without being moved to tears by the dramatic scene of someone persevering, pushing through, finishing the race, but in such a beautiful fashion. Today in Philippians 3... We see that Paul uses an intense running analogy to describe the Christian life. He's just described his passionate, 
all-consuming desire in verse 10, right? That he would know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And now he tells the Philippians he's not stagnating. He's not slowing down. He's still running hard after Christ. I think Kent Hughes says it beautifully. He says there's nothing in Scripture quite like this explosion of spiritual longing. Paul explains that this explosion of spiritual longing for him, he tells the Philippians what's happening here is that he's not giving up. He's continuing forward, pursuing after Jesus. And he's telling the Philippians, you should follow me in my example. In verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So every single one of us, right, every Christian then, should take a close look at this passage because Paul's providing an inspiring instructive path forward for growing in spiritual maturity. And what's going to happen here, Paul does this a lot in the book of Philippians, really a lot in his epistles, is he compares and contrasts, right? So there's teachers in the room, so i got to be careful here and make sure I'm doing this right. He, he often will take two things and put them against each other. And what he does today is he says, there are those who are disciples, those who are followers of Jesus, and there are those who are enemies of the cross, Last week, we saw that he started into this argument against the Judaizer. There were Judaizers. There were those who were seeking to kind of dismantle the work that Paul and the Philippian church had done. They had been entering in. They had been preaching a false gospel. They had been adding to the works of Jesus. And so Paul now, again, he's saying, hey, you don't need Jesus plus the customs of Moses. You don't need Jesus plus the old covenant. You need Jesus alone. And so after dismantling that argument, pointing to the righteousness given to them by Jesus, and he points them to their ultimate goal, which is the resurrection. And here's what he says. After everything we went through last week, after this laundry list of all these accolades and how he considered them all rubbish, you would think, man, Paul's the man. He's got it all figured out. And he says this. Not that I've already obtained it. He says, look guys, I'm, I'm not perfect. Surprise. I'm not. Paul doesn't, <laughs> Paul doesn't then give up after saying, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. He doesn't say, oh well, and then slap a bumper sticker on his car that says, perfect, just forgiven. You guys ever seen that one? In fact, he says, but just because I'm not there yet doesn't mean I'm giving up. In fact, he says that he presses on to make it his own that he would be like Jesus. Is that your goal? Is that your aim? Is that what you're running for? That you would be like Jesus. Those of you who've trained for a long race, right? You know that you have to kind of pull deep within yourself to find that last bit of motivation to cross the finish line. A couple years ago, I mean, several long years ago, I was training to, in my mind, hopefully run a half marathon. And I remember I got to eight miles and thinking, I got nothing left in the tank. And so I started to ask other runners, how do you do this? Like, I would run in the morning, and I got to about eight miles, and that was like, I, I felt my legs were going to fall off. And they said, at a certain point, Billy, what happens is it becomes a mental game. Billy, what's your why? Why do you push through? How will you get to the next gear? So here's my question for you. Is your goal Christ, or is it something else? Is it Christ, or is it something else? I mean, here's the big idea today. Very simple. Am I a follower of Jesus, or am I an enemy of the cross? Th that's it. There's no, like, I'll just be in the middle. 
I'll be sort of a follower and kind of an enemy. No, there's no choice. Jesus himself said, you are either for or against me. This may seem extreme, but friends, Scripture, again, it leaves us no other option. We don't get to stand in front of a holy God in a neutral zone. (laughs) We'll either follow Jesus or we will follow our other ambitions to our own demise. And Paul's looking for authentic discipleship. And so we're going to see this comparison, and let's examine our own lives. And it starts here. First, followers of Jesus let go of their past. But enemies of the cross love their rebellion. Followers of Jesus let go of the past. Enemies of the cross love their rebellion. Look back at verse 12 with me. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Have you ever been at like an event where someone's sharing their story of how they came to Christ? And they seem just a little too stoked on their past, right? On their life before Christ. Maybe maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, but it's the guy who's like, yeah, before I met Jesus, I used to have all the girls. I did all the drugs. I had all the money. And now that I met Jesus, you know, I'm like, what? Your life is miserable? Like, what are you you talking about, man? Now, maybe they wouldn't say it like that, but, but they insinuate it with their posture. Now, Paul just gave, again, his list of accolades. That's what we read immediately before this in chapter 3. But he doesn't look back at his past life when he was respected, when he had status, and says, man, sure would be nice to have that again. No, he says all of that is rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus. Now, the idea here, it carries some connotations. He doesn't look back with longing, but he also doesn't look back with shame. Paul knows that what he did was an offense to Christ. Again, remember, in Acts chapter 8, we see this example where this, the first martyr of the church, Stephen, is proclaiming this, this amazing epic. Here's how Jesus came from eternity past, all the way tracing it through the Old Testament to now, and then they throw cinder blocks at his face. And Paul says, put your coats at my feet. I'll take his murder on my hands. That's what Paul was doing before he met Jesus. There's plenty of reason to think that there would be late nights where Paul would have shame. But he doesn't live in that shame. He knows that those things were offensive to Christ, but he lives in the reality of who he now is in Jesus. Today, if you look back on your past and and there's shame, maybe there's regret of things that you did, Jesus wants to free you of carrying that. Weighing yourself down with that heavy baggage. Jesus says he wants you to carry a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. He wants you to live in the reality that you are his. Friends, that's what actually motivates you to run. (laughs) I, I don't know anyone who uses shame as a healthy motivator. So Paul, he doesn't look back with with fondness missing and pining for the old days. He doesn't look back with shame, but he also is not resting on his laurels. Now, Paul had already up to this point accomplished a lot for the kingdom in his apostolic ministry. He had already done, he had been planting churches, he had been seeing people healed, he had been seeing the gospel go forth in advance, 
And he's not claiming perfection here. He's not resting on his laurels. Here's the point. In a race, you don't look back, right? In the middle of the race, you're not thinking about lap one. You're focused on what's ahead, what's next. And that's what Paul's saying here. Right? We don't look back and say, man, I really did a lot for the kingdom. So I guess I can just kick my feet up and rest. Listen, a lot of you have amazing stories, and you have done wonderful things for the kingdom, whether it's been living overseas, serving students, connecting, raising children. All these things are wonderful, but we don't just stop. If your stance is that you once had passion for Jesus, and as long as you're a decent person, attend church, you know, when you can, read scriptures here and there, pray if you think about it. Man, I just want to be honest with you and say this, not good enough. Friends, that is a disrespect to the sacrifice of the cross. I know this may seem harsh, but guys, I have a responsibility as a pastor. I do. To say that nominal Christianity is what Paul is talking about here. That if we just try our best, you know, be a decent person, Jesus will be happy. Y'all, that's not true. It's frankly wrong. We have to ask the question, am I just doing Christian activity or am I following the Lord who's rescued my life? This is a call to to stop looking back and to fix your gaze on Jesus. Paul says in verse 12 that the reason he presses on is because Christ has made him his own. So has Jesus made you his own? Then don't look back with fondness, don't look back in shame, don't rest on your laurels, keep going. Keep going. Second, followers of Jesus pursue God. Enemies of the cross worship their own desires. Followers of Jesus pursue God. Enemies of the cross worship their own desire. Look at verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Now jump down to verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So again, we see that comparison laid out in the text. Paul says his goal is to press on towards the prize. But then he points to the enemies and says, of enemies of the cross, and he says that their God is their belly. What that means is their God is their desires. And really, this is a comparison of two different desires. Did you guys know that God has a desire? John 17, verse 24, Jesus praying for you. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Christ desires you to know him, to know his glory. And Paul says he presses on towards the upward call. Do you know what that means? It means that Jesus loved you long before you loved him. 1 John 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. What that means is you're not the one who started this relationship, right? No matter how desperately broken you were when you came to know Jesus, no matter how much you realize, man, I need Jesus in my life. I need him to change me. You're not the one who started it. God is. God's heart is for you. It's for me. He loves you. 
He has pursued you. He lived, he died, and he has risen to pursue you. So simply put, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will pursue Christ. You won't bend a knee to your desires. You cannot function in your own desires after you start following Jesus because it will tear your heart in two. It will. What is worse? Not knowing Jesus or knowing Jesus and being in compromise? What this means, friends, is is we've got to let go of our wants. We have to trust that, that God will supply all that we need. Trust that he does at the cross of Calvary. But he doesn't give us all we want, does he? Why? Well, frankly, y'all, because we want some pretty dumb things. We do. Right? My son, Samuel, wants to eat a piece of foam all that he found on the floor. Okay? He does. He's like, I, I take it from him, and he's like, ah! like, just dismayed. <laughs> he doesn't understand. It's not good for him, even though he wants it. That is us, y'all, to a T. And God says... Lay down the God of your belly, the God of your desires, the God of the things that you desperately crave that won't satisfy you, and trust me. Trust me with my desire for you. What is it, friend, that you are pursuing over and above God? What is it? Is it acceptance? Is it approval? Is it praise? Is it comfort? Man, Oh, the slavery that comfort brings. Is it power? Is it control? God says, lay it down. Because it won't satisfy you. It won't and it can't. Disciples, followers of God, they pursue God. They run after him. Jesus is the goal of their life. Is he yours? Next point. Followers of Jesus... This is third. Followers of Jesus have maturity of mind. Enemies of the cross rarely think of God. Followers of Jesus have maturity of mind. Enemies of the cross rarely think of God. Verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Here's the idea. (laughs) If you follow Jesus, you have the maturity of mind to realize you're not perfect. We talk about this all the time. You don't outgrow your need for Jesus, right? The gospels we don't, are not just the ABCs. They're the A to Z of our faith. The gospel is everything that we need Jesus. You realize that as long as you have breath in your lungs, you have not yet arrived. And what this means is that you will continue to move forward. God will be at the center of your ambition, So let me ask the question, how are your days shaped? What's on your mind when you wake up? And I get that most of us don't even think. We're just like, coffee. I get it. I get it. But what happens is we we go through our day. Maybe you get in your car, you're driving to work, and you're thinking about the demands of the day. Then you get to work, and your mind wanders as you think about, and the holidays are coming up. We're going to have uncle so-and-so here. Like you're thinking about all the things that are going on, Maybe you're looking forward to time off. Maybe you have deep dread for all the expectations. Then you leave work. You go to pick your kids up, and you're thinking about, man, are they going to be wound up? Is the house going to be chaos? I thought I heard him cough this morning. Lord, please no. 
Maybe you carry the weight of work on your shoulders as you walk in the door. Maybe it's been a tough day at home. And then you lay down at night exhausted as you scroll on your phone. And you start to realize that you rarely, if ever, think of God. Now listen, I'm not saying that 24-7, God has to be at the forefront of your mind, right? Though, truthfully, we would all be better for it. What I am saying is that God should shape and stir our days. We give our members a resource um, called Every Moment Holy when we install them and welcome them into our congregation. And I love it. It's a collection of liturgies for the everyday moments of life. It has everything from diaper changes to consuming media in this little book, right? All these different prayers for these different moments. And the reason we give it is because when we dwell on the Lord and pursue Him, He reshapes, He reorients our days. We begin to see that every single moment of our life is infused with purpose. We begin to see that knowing Jesus, it shapes the whole of our life. But tragically, it's so easy to not think about God, isn't it? It's so easy for our days to go by and for us to think less and less and less of God. And then what happens? Well, then we don't prioritize God. And then our lives start to unravel. And what Paul is saying is simple. And it's that those who do not follow, those who do not follow Jesus wholeheartedly, rarely, if ever, think about God. And why is that? What does the end of verse, or what does verse 18 say? End of verse 19, it says, The end is their destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, and this is the key, with minds set on earthly things. Their mind is set on earthly things. That's why so many of us get so frustrated and desperate and broken because we don't see eternity in view. We're just looking at what's right ahead of us. And so, of course, we're riddled with anxiety. Of course, we're frustrated. Of course, we're desperate because we think this is all there is. We're so earthly-minded that Jesus can't get our attention. Here's what I'm saying. Don't be so focused on the things of this earth that you look nothing like a disciple. If you wonder where God is, I would ask you, do you think about him? Right? If you're looking at your life, it feels fragmented, and you're like, man, God isn't doing anything for me. Let me just ask the question, have you thought about him? Do you dwell on him? Remember when you first fell in love? Those of you who are married or dating, remember that? You remember passing notes to your crush in middle school? Maybe you didn't do that. Maybe you were a good kid. I remember, man, like I would in college go out of my way to meet Hannah when she got out of class like I would be on the other side of campus and I'd be like it's totally worth it just because I had to see her it's weird you're kind of like low-key obsessed right maybe you thought about that person all the time maybe a creepy amount I don't know when you first met Jesus you were so consumed with him how do I know that because he captivates our hearts so this morning can I just ask what happened what happened? Why did you let life get in the way of your relationship? I, I don't want to let earthly things pull me away from Jesus. I want God to be on my mind because I'm always on his. He radically reshapes my days. He infuses even the mundane, right? Even dirty diapers with glory. Dwell on that. Dwell on the Lord. Last point. Fourth, 
followers of Jesus imitate real disciples in community. Enemies of the cross live without accountability. Followers of Jesus imitate real disciples in community. Enemies of the cross live without accountability. Verse 19. Again, their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Why is their end destruction? Because no one will challenge them with the consequences in their life. And if we think that God has called us to follow Jesus individually, let me just be really blunt, that's not biblical. And I get it. I know some of you don't like people. Like, I get it, right? I, I, I'm an extrovert. I love people. And when I hang out with my introverts, I see it. You know, they're just wearied by my presence. I understand that. I'm weird. I get it. Not everybody loves being around people all the time. Your relationship with Jesus, it can be deeply personal and intimate. Yes, absolutely. But the function of your faith, friends, is communal right? It just is. The mandate on your life as a disciple is corporate, not just individual. What does that mean? Well, Jesus, son of God, he had 12 disciples. He had three close friends. He had people that he cared about, and he was the son of God. So if we think we don't need anyone, what does that say about the what we view about the incarnation? There's a lot there. That's another sermon. Jesus had 12 disciples. He sent 70 out two by two. He had 120 in the book of Acts where 3,000 were saved as the church began to multiply daily. There were teams of leadership. There were people gathered together. And the New Testament is not written to individuals. Friends, it's written to churches. It's written to people. If you live your life as though you just follow God individually, you will begin to realize that something is missing. And what's missing is that you need other people if you're going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Right? Jeremiah says our hearts are desperately wicked, desperately sick. We will begin to live in a vacuum and convince ourselves of things if we don't have the voice of others calling us back to the truth of the gospel. We need other people and we need examples to follow. We need people who've walked with Jesus longer than us. I was at this little country church when I was in college. I used to drive up there with friends and bring them to this little bitty church that was an hour and a half away in the middle of nowhere, a town of 50 people and a lot of cows. Okay. And uh, have you ever been somewhere where the music is bad? You ever gone to church and you're like, like, you know, like someone sings a special and they like, it's rough, you know, or someone's like, the band is like off key, like the guy clearly doesn't know what a guitar tuner is. They let a guy who kind of knows how to play piano or guitar lead. There's a girl singing off key, and you're just like, what in the world is happening? I remember singing what I thought was a weird hymn. <laughs> I grew up with hymns, but I, of course, didn't know all of them, right? I was in like the 90s when we were starting to, you know, do the, do the praise band thing, and so I, I didn't know all the hymns, and Boy, this song was just not doing it for me. And here I am, we, we would every Sunday, I'm not kidding when I say this, they would say, we need a choir this morning. And you would, whoever would want to could come and be in the choir. So that tells you about the level of quality, right? So I'm up there in the choir. The, the piano player is missing a note here and there. <laughs> and I'm up there thinking to myself, how in the world? Like if, the, if I'm the Lord and I'm hearing this, I'm just like, great job, guys. You know, like... You know, when my son tries to sing and just yelling, I'm like, beautiful, buddy. 
And there I look out in the audience and I see Marvin. Marvin was an older saint, hunched over, always wore a vest, like one of those fleece vests, always. He was one of the elders of the church. And here's this guy weeping in the presence of God, just reveling in the presence of God. Many of you will know this hymn. This is what he was singing. Why should I feel, it'll be on, yeah, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? I can visualize Marvin just lifting his hand. When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. (laughs) That's a saint with years on him. He's lived through war. We live in a culture in a day where if you get older, you're irrelevant and you're told to be quiet and let the young people who know what they're doing talk. I want to sit with that guy. Because that guy doesn't care if the piano is off key or if the choir has me singing in it. He doesn't care because he's singing to the master of his life. That's someone who walked with the Lord. I want to look like that. Coram Deo, that's what we need. We need people who push us into the presence of God. Paul calls for the Philippians to imitate him. We, we, we need to look for saints to imitate people who we would say, man, can I come eat with you guys? I know that your life is probably chaotic. I know the kids are probably running around in diapers and screaming and there's food everywhere. I just want to be around you. I just, what is, what your life is just, it's so clear that you follow Jesus. Can I be with you? We need saints who will hold us accountable. Hey man, I, I, I see that your attitude has just been so poor lately. You're so downcast. Man, lift your gaze. Christ is here. He's alive. We need saints who will push us into the presence of God. And if not, our end will be our destruction. The way that Paul runs his race, it poses some pretty heart-searching questions for us. If your thought life, your daily routine, your spending practices, your, your interpersonal interactions, if they were translated into Paul's athletic imagery, what would it look like? What kind of race are you running? Are you running aimlessly? Right? Is, your, is your pace hindered by backwards glances? Is, are, you, are you looking back to, to bygone days? Maybe you have sideways glances to other runners. But if Christ has seized you, In his amazing grace, we don't rest on our laurels. Instead, we take all of our investment of aspiration, right? All of our imagination, our time, our energy, our money, everything towards the precious prize that Paul pursues. So here's the challenge. Fix your gaze on the goal, on the prize that he finds irresistibly attractive. 
and then run with all your strength. Run with all your stamina. Anything that Christ gives you, run towards him. And look at verse 20 with me. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What's the goal? The goal is glory. Coram Deo. It's glory. I think of a famous C.S. Lewis quote. It comes to my mind often. This is what he says. Indeed, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. (sighs) Lewis goes on to survey the astonishing destiny of joy. This destiny that overly, utterly, outshadows the physical pleasures and passions that often pull us away, trip us up on our race. He says this, after this quote, he says, the promise of Scripture may be very roughly reduced to five heads. It's promised, firstly, that we shall be with Christ. Secondly, that we shall be like Him. Thirdly, with an enormous wealth of imagery that we shall have glory. Fourthly, that we shall in some sense be fed or feasted or entertained. And finally, that we shall have some sort of official position in the universe. Friends, we have plenty to look forward to. Plenty of reason to run the race. So do you behold the glory of Christ? What is your ambition? Is it making mud pies in the slums? One more quote, Puritan John Owen. Good guy to read about glory. This is what he said. Oh, to behold the glory of Christ. Herein would I live, herein would I die, hereon would I dwell in my thoughts and my affections until all things here below become as dead and deformed things and in no longer any way calling out for my affections. Examine your life. What are you chasing? If, if you look at your life and you realize this morning that your heart has drifted, maybe there's unrepented sin. One of the best ways I've ever heard it said is that sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. Remember, remember, and rehearse the hope of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. We're told in 1 John that if we sin, Meaning, we will, we have an advocate. Come to Jesus. So this morning, I simply ask this. Are you a follower of Jesus or an enemy of the cross? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we so often fix our gaze 
on things that don't satisfy. We look to things that won't give us joy or hope. We rest when there is much more to run. We don't look to you to give us strength and comfort and encouragement and hope and rest. We try to figure it out ourselves. This morning, Lord, would we see that you call us back to life in you? Would we repent of the things that so easily ensnare us and entangle us? Would we set our gaze on Jesus and would we run hard after you? Would we behold you, Lord, and pursue you? Pray all of this, Lord, in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Coram Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.